0: Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, as Jaco, our chairman, said earlier, um, welcome, especially if you're visiting with us this morning, a very warm welcome. It's great to have you with us. What a great song to have just sung, uh, particularly on a day like today, where we've already heard from Paul and Fenny, um, who God has rescued out of darkness and brought them personally into his wonderful, marvellous light. Uh, but not only that, it's a great song to sing because they're modelling for us the very truths that that song that we just sang um, exemplifies, and that is to live is Christ and to die is gain. Uh, That's what we're coming together today um, to really highlight in their own walk with Christ, uh, that they're giving up uh, on on a worldly perspective uh, a lot, Um, a very lucrative career in in the medical professional field, um, but really to serve Christ in in an area of the world, as as we've just seen, has such a a small, minuscule witness to Christ. So it's a wonderful thing. If you'd like to open your Bibles, please, to Romans chapter 10, I'm going to read from verse 1 through to verse 15. And as I read these words, please keep in mind uh, the Old Testament reading, which we had a little earlier, um, from Isaiah So Romans chapter 10, starting at verse 1, and this is God's word. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. For I can testify about them that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. Since they did not know the righteousness that comes from God and sought to establish their own, They did not submit to God's righteousness. Christ is the end of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. Moses describes in this way the righteousness that is by the law. The man who does these things will live by them. But the righteousness that is by faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is, to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the deep, that is, to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, that is, the word of faith We are proclaiming that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. As the scripture says, anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How, can, how then? Can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Let's pray. Lord, what a great joy it is to be able to come and worship you this morning. On this, the day in the week where you rose again from the dead and broke the power of sin and death once and for all. Lord, we come to you this morning in worship, confessing that you alone, Jesus, are Lord. You alone are God. You alone are King over all the earth. And we worship you. Lord, we pray that you would open our ears, that we would hear your voice speaking to us through your word by your Holy Spirit. And we pray that you would so work within me that my words, Lord, would be your words, speaking truthfully to us through your word. And that, Lord, you would impress upon us those truths which we need to hear Lord, bless us, we pray, for we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, today is a very special day for Paul and Fanny. There's been a lot of prayer, planning and preparation just to get to this particular point. But the battle is far from over. Indeed, in many ways, the real battle has just begun. Because as they move overseas, so many of their natural networks are taken away. And living in another culture with an entirely different language is going to contain all kinds of unforeseen challenges as well as opportunities. What are some of the things then that is going to help them as well, can I say, as all of us in going the distance In serving Christ? That's the question that I want to answer from God's word this morning. And it's a question which is relevant to every single person here who is a believer. If you trust in Jesus, this is the question that I want to put to you today What is it that's going to keep you strong and faithful to serve Christ to the very end? Because the Christian life, life, and indeed in particular Christian service, is not a sprint. It's a marathon. And so we need to pace ourselves to make sure that we go the distance. It's not how we start the race, friends, that's important. It's how we finish. It's that we persevere and that we're faithful to the very end. Because we all have a part to play in Christ's Great Commission. Whether it's travelling overseas or remaining here in Australia, every single one of us is called to play our part and be a witness for Jesus. Indeed, one of the really amazing things I've observed here in the 12 months or so in coming to Hobart is that the greatest gospel growth that we are seeing in Australia is in multicultural churches. Whether it's people from Southeast Asia or South Africa. Many people who immigrate to Australia are coming to know, love and serve Christ. Isn't that amazing? And that's because in God's providence, I don't know if you know this or not, Approximately 1.5 million people are immigrating to Australia every two years. 1.5 million. To look at it another way, that's almost 14,500 people are coming to Australia every week. I have this enormous picture at home of my son, Luke, in uh, traditional Chinese dress. It was taken uh, on Chinese New Year about 16 or 17 years ago, and he's surrounded by all of these Chinese people. You would think that it was taken in Hong Kong or somewhere overseas. In fact, that's what everybody asks us. When did you go overseas with your family? It was actually taken in the middle of Sydney with some people from our church for Chinese New Year. And at that moment that that picture was taken, I can still remember thinking, oh my goodness, we serve Christ in the middle of a cross-cultural mission field in the middle of Sydney. Indeed, one of the local Baptist churches near us did a survey of, they'd been going for about 100 years, And they did a survey of all of the churches and all of the the missionaries and all of the places where they had supported missions over the last hundred years. And they realised that every single one of those nationalities now lived within the postcode of Burwood. That's how multicultural Australia has become. And can I just say how good it has been for the gospel? And we've seen this kind of growth, I think, even in our own congregation here at Cornerstone. We've been so blessed to have someone in, in our midst, like Annie and her ministry to people from Asia. It's incredible. One of the greatest blessings is to welcome people into our midst who were born overseas. And this is what's so beautiful, friends, is how the gospel destroys racism. It takes down the dividing wall of hostility between black and white, yellow or red. In fact, we don't see race, do we? We see brothers and sisters in God's family in Christ, yes. That's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And it's a cause for great celebration. In fact, just in a couple of weeks' time, I think we're going to be celebrating some new members in our congregation And I I feel awkward even saying this, but they actually are not from a European background. How good is that? That's a cause for great celebration because that's what the Great Commission is all about. And it's a cause for great celebration because we have been commissioned to go and make disciples of all nations. Or as the Apostle Paul, quoting from the prophet Isaiah, says... How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. This is what Paul and Fenny have committed themselves to doing. And this, brothers and sisters, is what every single person here is a part of. For as I said before, The Lord Jesus Christ has been given all authority on heaven and earth. By his death and resurrection and ascension into heaven, the Lord Jesus Christ is reigning in heaven right now. That's the truth, which we really celebrated last week at Easter, didn't we? The resurrection of Christ is the defining moment of all of human history. So much so, Now, now all of human history is divided into two distinct parts. BC, which means before Christ, and AD, which doesn't mean after his death, but is from the Latin, Anno Domini, meaning in the year of our Lord. All of human history is distinguished between that defining event because 2023 is the defining event Moment now in which the Lord Jesus Christ lives and reigns. Now, what does it mean then, practically speaking, to, f- to finish strong? Well, if you have your uh, your sermon outlines there, you'll see I've listed five things. Um, and I've tried to make this homiletically more memorable by letting them all start with P, right? And I hope, Paul and Fanny, this you remember these things today. But as I've actually been reflecting and praying about these things, I could actually think of a couple more. For instance, the one thing that we all need to remember is purity, to resist sexual temptation and to not have our ministry disqualified. We've seen tragic examples of that in recent years, haven't we, of famous apologists like Ravi Zacharias Or I could also say to emphasise the personal relationship that we all have with Christ. That's one of the things that is most important if we're going to stay strong to the very end. Another one I could have added is pride, that we remain humble. And pride can come in all kinds of ways. Sometimes it comes through success. Sometimes it just comes because we're abnormally, extraordinarily talented. Or that we're more zealous, we're more committed, we're more orthodox than other believers. Pride can be a great stumbling block. But I want to suggest five other things this morning. And the first is parenting. That might sound like a strange thing to say and perhaps even in a a distraction to what it means to have a Successful ministry, but I'd like to argue that it's absolutely vital. And let me speak directly to Paul and Fanny, although exactly the same thing obviously applies to all of us. Your first and most vital ministry is to your children and your spouse. That they themselves would both know the love of Christ as well as your own love for them as people. In many ways, that's what I think true success in ministry looks like. Because your family is a microcosm of your ministry to everyone else. You can't really have a successful ministry outside the home and have your own family not believe. You see, we can busy ourselves seeking the conversion of others But fail in raising our own children to know and love the Lord. We can be so busy with mission that our children become what you might call ministry orphans. Or alternatively, we can be so busy as blokes in serving the church that our spouses, and this is a great tragedy, become ministry widows. One of the greatest legacies you can leave behind in this world is children who grow up to know and serve the Lord. Who will go on to even do greater things than you could ever have hoped or dreamed of for yourself. The theologian Don Carson um, is a beautiful example in this regard. His father was a Baptist minister in French-speaking Canada at a time where it was basically illegal to be a Protestant, where you could be jailed for publicly preaching the gospel. And his father faithfully laboured away for many, many years in relative obscurity. In the providence of God, though, his son went on to become one of the most influential theologians of the 20th and 21st centuries but you would never have known his father, would you? Don Carson's commentaries and books have been translated into multiple languages and are read by pastors all over the world. But being this kind of parent often requires the greatest sacrifice of all because it's anonymity. And so, can I say to all of us, but especially Paul and Fanny, keep investing in not only each other as a couple, but especially your own children. That you would not only have a close and warm relationship with them, but that by God's grace, they themselves would grow up to know, love, and serve the Lord. There's so much more that could be said. But I'm going to move on to the second point, and that is be patient. Be patient. If I could go back in time and give myself one bit of advice as I started out in ministry, this would have to be it because it would have saved me from making so many mistakes and stressful situations. Be patient. It's something I I think I still continue to struggle with and seek God's grace to develop in me. Is there anything more difficult to hear in life generally or in serving Jesus in particular, then to wait, especially when situations are difficult. The Apostle Paul puts it like this in 2 Timothy 2. He says, Flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Have nothing to do with foolish and ignorant controversies, you know, It's one of the greatest challenges, I think, you can find in serving Christ. Because there are always some who will want to distract you from the centrality of the gospel. In fact, that's what the evil one wants, isn't it? Even though the Lord Jesus Christ has been given all authority in heaven and on earth, more often than not, friends, we have to patiently endure. to be gentle, even with those who are clearly in the wrong or being difficult. Because we have to realise that only God can soften hearts and change people's minds and not we ourselves. It's sometimes said that we should pray like everything depends on God and act like everything depends on us. Have you ever heard that? It's not only not true... It's theologically incorrect and pastorally unhelpful. What should we do then, you might ask? Well, as Peter Jensen, the former Archbishop of Sydney, used to say to us when we were at Moore College, we should pray like everything depended on God and you should act like everything depended on God. If you turn over to your Bibles to Acts chapter 18 and in particular verses 9 to 11, I'll show you what I mean. This closely leads on to the next point involving the importance of perseverance. Luke tells us in verse 9, One night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision, Do not be afraid, keep speaking, do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one is going to attack and harm you, because I have many people in this city. So Paul stayed a year and a half, teaching them the word of God. Now, without actually naming the place which you are intending to go, Paul and Fenny, do you really believe that the Lord has people there that he has chosen? Do you really believe that? I realise that once again, this implies a belief in God's sovereignty, but ultimately it's the only thing which will inspire you to persevere. The biblical truth that you know that the Lord is in absolute control. Otherwise, you'll soon give up. It's a firm and robust doctrine of the sovereignty of God, though, which helps you to endure all kinds of hardships and difficulties, especially in ministry. Knowing that nothing can separate you from Christ's love neither death, nor life, neither angels, nor demons, neither the present, nor the future, nor any powers. Nothing in all creation can snatch you out of God's hand. What did we just sing, friends? Even if my life was to be poured out as an offering, still can you say, to live is Christ, to die is gain? That may be Christ's intent, to pour us out. And it's especially important that we all remember this if we're to persevere in Christian ministry. Back in Acts chapter 13, verse 48. Turn over this with me for a minute. Acts chapter 13, verse 48, we read this. When the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and honoured the word of the Lord. And all who were appointed for eternal life believed. If someone were to inform us how difficult serving Christ could sometimes be, I'm pretty certain we wouldn't believe them. I read a book once of a young minister who was told by his much older father-in-law that only about one in ten people in pastoral ministry finished strong. One in ten. He said at first he didn't believe that. And so he kept a list in the back of his Bible of all of the guys who were in his year at college. And one by one, over the years, he had to cross off one name after another. Whether it was marital infidelity, financial mismanagement, somehow or other denying the faith or dropping out of ministry altogether due to discouragement, or maybe even a desire to go on and do something else. By the time he himself had come to retire, only... 10% of his classmates were still serving as pastors. That's how difficult Christian ministry is. It's a 90% dropout rate. I'm thinking the statistics for cross-cultural ministries would be something similar. But even for those of us who have served Christ in places in which we were raised, the challenge to persevere remains, doesn't it? Because it's just so easy to give up. Yeah, it's not saying there's not seasons in life where you step away from things or have a rest. But it's very easy, isn't it, to allow criticism to so cripple us that we completely lose our zeal for the Lord. And so, Paul and Fanny, remember it's not how you start that matters, it's how you finish. And it's how you continue to love and serve Christ through the fires of affliction. My final two points are obvious, and therefore they should really go without saying. But ironically, that's the reason why they really need to be said. Because the main thing is that the main thing always remains the main thing. The first is to make sure that proclaiming the good news about Jesus always remains your passion and focus. Where Paul and Fanny are going, I just think, are incredibly blessed to have such gifted and talented and experienced medical professionals like them. There's an old saying, though, that the good is the greatest enemy to the best. And it's especially true in serving Jesus. You see, there are lots and lots of good things which vie for our time and attention, aren't there? Especially when you're gifted in whatever sphere it might be. And people will rightly be extremely appreciative of any kind of practical assistance you might give them. You must never forget, though, that there's a deeper need which everyone has, and it can only be found in the truth of God's word. It's the only thing that will remain. For the scriptures are not only the only weapon we have being given in fighting back against our enemy, the devil, but they're also the means by which the Spirit of God has chosen to work to convert people. The Apostle James says, he chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. Or in 1 Peter 1, we're similarly told, for you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. For all men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. And then do you know what Peter oh, sorry, do you know what Peter says next? And this is the word that was preached to you. It's an incredibly profound idea to realize that God has chosen to speak to people through people. He could have done it in lots of different ways. But that's why our feet, in particular, are beautiful. Because it's the movements of ordinary people like you and me that bring the stupendous good news of salvation. When I preached for the call here at Cornerstone, one of the passages I preached from was 3 John. Not John chapter 3, but 3 John. And it's there that this, there's this incredible section which says, Dear friend, you are faithful in what you are doing for the brothers, even though they are strangers to you. They have told the church about your love. You will do well to send them on their way in a manner worthy of God. It was for the sake of the name that they went out, receiving no help from the pagans. We ought, therefore, to show hospitality to such men so that we may work together for the truth. That's incredible. This is why it's so remarkable about what we're doing today as a congregation with Paul and Fenny. They're not strangers to us, they're people we know. We're commissioning or sending them out overseas, not really as representatives of Cornerstone, but as ambassadors of Christ, of a heavenly king. For as the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, it is Christ himself who will be making his appeal to others through you. The fifth and final point ties all of these things together, and that is prayer. I said before that the scriptures are the only spiritual weapon we've been given, but I don't think that's actually quite right. Because it could also rightly be argued that prayer is integral in our spiritual battle. It's like calling in of air reinforcements. So often in serving Jesus, this is where the battle, humanly speaking, is either won or lost. It's on our knees. The great Christian missionary James O. Fraser, who took the gospel to the Lisu people in China, Burma and Thailand would regularly spend extended time or periods of time praying for the conversion of those who did not know Christ. For those who are interested, there's a really inspiring account of what he did in the book Mountain Rain by Eileen Crossman. But all that people were even more committed to prayer The words of David Jones often come to my mind, especially his expression, that our own church here at Cornerstone was birthed in a prayer meeting. Do you know why it is that we gather every Lord's Day here? It's because of an answer to prayer and and hence a movement of God's spirit. That's why. It was the result of people praying for conversions. And this commitment to prayer is not just a responsibility for Paul and Fanny once again, but for each and every one of us, isn't it? Friends, we need to be more committed to prayer than we are. I know we pray in small groups, but one of the, I think, the most vital ministries we have here at Cornerstone is to pray before church, 9.15, every Sunday morning. Oh, that that room was filled, brothers and sisters. If we really believed that God would answer our prayers... At the end of this month, on Wednesday the 26th, we'll be having our quarterly congregational prayer meeting. This time we'll be joining with our brothers and sisters from Soul Church, another congregation, right, that was a result of prayer. <laughs> but we need to recapture, friends, the power of prayer. And as such, it has to be, uh, it has to be a priority in our church life. I often think of the words in the hymn, What a Friend We Have in Jesus, especially the lines which say, Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear, all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. And then at the start of the second verse, it says this, Have we trials and temptations? Is there trouble anywhere? We should never be discouraged. Take it to the Lord in prayer. It looks incredibly weak and even pathetic to an unbelieving world. But to everyone who knows Jesus, it unleashes the power of almighty God. Now, I've given us a lot of different things to think about today. And I hope you're not feeling overwhelmed or even worse, guilt-ridden. Because the things I'm saying, I know, are quite challenging. The one thing I'd like to leave us with this morning, though, and this is especially for Paul and Fanny as they move overseas, is this. Remember that you and I are never alone. Serving Christ is one of the most difficult and also exhilarating things I think any human being could do. But the most precious promise we have is that Jesus is with us to the very end of the age. He doesn't send us out and remain distant or aloof. No, Christ is with us every step of the way. Amen? Amen. In Isaiah 43, we read these incredible words. Isaiah writes, But now this is what the Lord says. He who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze, for I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Saviour. There are tons of different examples of this promise being fulfilled in Scripture. Even though the Old Testament, even through the Old Testament, we see the Lord Jesus Christ supernaturally sustaining his people by providing water from a rock and manna from heaven. Or when Daniel's three friends are in the fiery furnace, the Lord literally delivers them from the flames. The Bible says that not only was not a hair of their head singed, but their clothes were not burned, and they had turbans on and all these flowing robes, but they didn't even smell of smoke. Such is the power of God's mighty arm. But the most incredible thing of all about this incident was this, as remarkable as that was. It was that King Nebuchadnezzar watched what he thought would be the men being burnt alive And this is a massive fire because the the guards that took the men and threw them into the fire, they themselves got burnt alive and died. That's how hot the fire was. As soon as he throws them into the fire, King Nebuchadnezzar leaps to his feet and he says in amazement, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed. And the fourth one, the fourth one looks like a son of the gods. He said they'd been firmly tied up before being put into the fire so that they couldn't possibly escape. But now, not only all of a sudden are they unbound and walking around uninjured, but there's this mysterious divine fourth figure who is in there with them. The one whom the king of Babylon himself goes on to praise, and the king of Babylon, the most powerful man in the world of that time, issues a decree that no one on earth should speak against. This is the same divine Jesus who has saved us from even a greater fire, the condemnation of God's wrath. So let's remember, brothers and sisters in Christ. We are never alone, no matter how difficult or how discouraging things might become. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, we thank you and we praise you that you are the true and living God. You alone save. You alone created the world and you alone will judge it. Father, we, Son and Holy Spirit, we worship you. Three persons in one God. We praise you, Lord, we kneel before you, and we confess that you alone are Lord. Father, as we serve you in ministry, there are so many difficulties, so many trials, so many discouragements, but Lord, we know from your word, your promise that you are with us and you will never forsake us. Lord, we want to pray for each other this morning, especially for those that are discouraged or downhearted. Lord, lift them up this morning. Lift us up and strengthen us, we pray. And as we serve you in the days, weeks, months, years ahead, help us to remember these words this morning. To be people that proclaim your word, that pray, that are patient, that persevere that remember that charity begins at home with our own families. Father, we uh, pray that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit, strengthen us and bless us, we pray. And we want to pray especially for Paul and Fenny this morning, Lord, that your spirit will so fill them, that your strength would be made manifest through their weakness, that you would glorify your name and make their ministry bear much fruit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing, shall we?